Welcome back to Food and Philosophy episode 15. We're still on the profit. But first, food. I got Ike's today. It's number 300 with Tom Brady. It's football season, Super Bowl season, playoff season, so I had to go with the GOAT. The Tom Brady is mushrooms. This one I got vegan because we're celebrating Veganuary right now. Vegan chicken, mushrooms, avocado. I got it on wheat bread. So the thing is, even at Ike's, eating at Ike's, you don't know that you're eating a vegan sandwich when you're eating a vegan sandwich. It's so good. It's also got garlic and herb seasoning on it. No wonder vegans love me. This one's a little messy. Definitely gonna go take some more bites. Before I get back to the book, I'm gonna do something. <laughs> On X, Twitter, this new segment, whatever the hell Twitter talks to me about. So lately, it's football season, it's playoffs, NFC Championship game, almost Super Bowl time when this is being shot. And there's a lot of people hating on Brock Purdy. Now, obviously, I'm a 49er fan, so I'm going to come at this from a non-biased place. And I'll give you what the lesson here is. Brock Purdy, last pick in the draft, third string on his own team when the season started uh, last year. And he's putting up numbers that would, if he was drafted in the first round, he was doing what CJ Stroud is doing, who is the number two overall pick this year. People would be like, this guy is a franchise quarterback. People would be all up on him. The Niners did great to trade. Like, if they traded up for him, if he was Trey Lance instead, they'd be all up on him, saying he's the next great thing. They'd be putting him in all the marketing material, like for the NFL, not just for the 49ers. But for some reason, because for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, his meteoric rise to fame is being countered by, like, an almost equal amount of hate from the pundits from experts, from people on other teams talking smack. Like, they're talking smack about Brock Purdy like he's Dak Prescott and throwing interceptions every single playoff game and getting eliminated in, in the first uh, game of the playoffs every year. And he's not that. So what we can learn from here is, is that a couple things. One, people will love your story when you're an underdog, but once you become an overdog, they start disliking you. We already know that. There's the overdog and the underdog theory. It has a little bit to do with that, but also other things, um, too, in the underdog and overdog theory. Just look at yourself. How often did you actually root for Wiley Coyote to get the Roadrunner? I know some. I, I probably rooted for him. Or how are you? Or do you watch movies? Do you watch TV shows? And you find yourself rooting for the the, the villain in the story? Underdog versus overdog. So there's that. 
how is it that you're able to just view your own life like that? Because if you're doing that in your life, where are you undervaluing an overdog? And where are you overvaluing an underdog? People love underdog stories, but not when you become popular enough to be an overdog. We're seeing that right now with Brock Purdy. And we saw that back when I had one location, bringing it back to me, obviously, because it's my show. But I learned this the hard way. I was getting kicked out of the first location in San Francisco by the city, um, getting sued by hella people on the in the neighborhood, all these things. And people were on me like, Ike, we love you. We have your back. Free Ike. They were wearing shirts that said free Ike on them. They were wearing shirts that said I'll live above Ike's. They were doing all that. They were buying stuff and they were loving me and giving me. Pro I interviewed with every single publication in California, basically. Uh, even the Wall Street Journal called me up. Even Fox News wanted to do a story. Even uh, New York Times did several things. But then when the same thing, same exact thing happened years later, when I had 20 something locations, people didn't care anymore. In fact, they're like, Ike, you should learn your lessons now. Or Ike, you should do that. As if somebody threatening to sue because you're too popular or somebody threatening to kick you out of a location because you're too popular, all of a sudden now it was okay because I was successful. I mean, I think look at life now. Um, there's all these laws where like people say, oh, I don't want to go eat at chains. And then some of you still go to Starbucks instead of the local coffee shop. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. Just look at where you're you're overvaluing the underdog and undervaluing the overdog in general. That's my Twitter talk for today. Back to our regu regularly scheduled program. The Prophet. Last we left off, houses. Then a mason came forth and said, speak to us of houses. But actually, I want another bite first. Uh-oh. Very mess. In studio mess. So I don't allow, they don't allow food in the, in the studio. Dude, this summer's so good. Vegans, I love you too. Then a mason came forth and said, speak to us of houses. And he answered and said, build of your imaginings a bower in the wilderness ere you build a house within the city walls. For even as you have homecomings in your twilight, so has the wanderer in you, the ever distant and alone. Your house is your larger body. It grows in the sun and sleeps in the stillness of the night, and it is not dreamless. Does not your house dream, and dreaming leave the city for grove or hilltop? Would that I could gather your houses into my hand, and like a sour scatter them in forest and meadow? Would the valleys where your streets and the green paths, your alleys, that you might seek one another through vineyards, and come with fragrance of the earth in your garments? But these things are not yet to be. In their fear, 
your forefathers gathered you two near together, and that fear shall endure a little longer. A little longer shall your city walls separate your heart, your hearths, from your fields. And tell me, people of Orphalese, what have you in these houses? And what is it you guard with fastened doors? Have you peace, the quiet urge that reveals your power? Have you remembrances, the glimmering arches that span the summits of the mind? Have you beauty that leads the heart from things fashioned of wood and stone to the holy fountain? Tell me, have you these in your houses? Or have you only comfort and the lust for comfort, that stealthy thing that enters the house a guest and then becomes a host and then a master? Aye, and it becomes a tamer and with hook and scourge makes puppets of your larger desires. Though its hands are silken, its heart is of iron. It lulls you to sleep, only to stand by your bed and jeer at the dignity of the flesh. It makes mock of your sound senses and lays them in thistleton like fragile vessels. Verily, the lust for comfort murders the passion of the soul, and then walks grinning in the funeral, as if it won. But you, children of space, you restless in rest, you shall not be trapped nor tamed. Your house shall not be an anchor but a mast. It shall not be glistening film that covers a wound, but an eyelid that guards the eye. You shall not fold your wings that you may pass through doors, nor bend your heads that they strike not against the ceiling, not fear to breath, lest walls should crack and fall down. You shall not dwell in tombs made by the dead, but for the living. And though of magnificence and splendor your house may be, you shall not hold your secret nor shelter your longing. For that which is boundless in you abides in the mansion of the sky, whose door is the morning mist, and whose windows are the songs and the silences of night. Speak to us of houses. Oh, man. Speak to us of houses. So look at your home right now, whatever you call home right now. It could be the home that you grew up in, but also look closely at where you live right now. The actual dwelling that you live in, the place, the space, the place even like the city, the state. Look at its abundances, your actual place that you live right now. Look at its lacks. What do you love about your place? What do you dislike about your place and wish you had more of? These are what you are. All the benefits of your place, all the drawbacks of your place, all the things you love about your place, all the things you wish your place had, those are you. These are also what you love. These are where you hurt yourself. These are where you limit yourself. These are where you are actually hurt. And this these are the spaces where you dream. Do not be so attached. Your home is only temporary. Even though you may stay there for years and years and years. Make yourself at home to the extent that your home does not become your cage. 
how often have you been, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that strictly because of where you live or how you live? Where are you trapped by your home right now, by the place that you live? Where are you trapped by it right now? Where does it limit you? What are your fears around these? Like, why are you not traveling all the time? Why do you even have a space for your space, for your stuff? Not that you shouldn't. Just notice why it's important to you. When I work with folks and they say they want to buy a house, I ask them why. What does your house, if you had a house, what would that mean about you? What does it represent? For some people, it represents, I finally made it. Well, some for some of the other people, they don't even think that it means that. They think it's, oh, look, I'm safe. I have a place. If they have a family, they're like, oh, look, I'm a good provider. There's so many ways just from what your place represents to you. We probably have a billion different ways to look at why a home is important whether you own it or you're renting. Some people don't even think it's important at all. Personally, I live in hotels. I have a couple places to store my things as I travel, but I'm in a hotel 200 times a year, 200 nights a year. And I used to be in a phase where I'm like always in the same apartment all the time or always in the same house all the time. Nothing's right. Nothing's wrong. Just notice what it means to you up here and what it means to you down here about your home and what it represents for you. Your comfort creates your fears. In fact, the, to the extent that you're capable or able to be uncomfortable in your life is the expanse of how unlimited you can become. You f your fear makes you wish for comfort. If you need a place to stay out of fear, it's to be comfortable. If you need a place to stay because you need to be out of the rain or cold, it's, that's also out of fear. I've been there. Like not knowing where I was going to sleep. And to me at that time, my home or where I was going to sleep that day literally meant not sleeping outside or not sleeping in the cold. So your comfort creates your fear. Your fear makes you wish for comfort. And comfort and the lust for comfort, like he says here, equals never getting your goals. Your comfort plus your lust to be comfortable, desire to, need to, making comfort a priority equals never getting your goals. Never getting your goals. What is it that your place of residence symbolizes for you? Ask yourself. You know why is it important where you live. Why are you not living on a couch for $100 a month or whatever? It would be probably like $500 a month to live on somebody's couch these days. But why aren't you doing that? I'm not saying you should, but why are you not doing that versus what you're doing right now? 
I know when I was on the street, I lived on somebody's couch for $300 a month uh, because I was the cheapest option. And I definitely don't do that now. But I can do that. You can do that. But it's not comfortable. And there's all these drawbacks too. So why not? What is important? What is your place of residence right now symbolized for you? Which fears are you looking to have taken care of through the place that you live? Including the, the like uh, location of your place, the neighborhood, the city, the state. As long as this is the basis, the fear part for your for your home, there. Um, as long as this is the basis for your home, these things will continuously show up in your life. Anyway, not like your home is not going to make that stuff disappear. Because it's being generated by fear. We know what you think, you create. We also know every action, there's equal opposite reactions. So you're like, fear, 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 fear. And then you're like, why is all this stuff that I'm being fearful about show up? There is a direct correlation to your need for comfort in and confinement to your home and how close you are to your dreams. There's a direct correlation. To you being trapped in your home, com comforted by your home, unwillingness to be uncomfortable, unwillingness to, to move around, like literally physically, move around like literally traveling, move around like, oh, this is really comfortable, but I'm, it's okay with me if I leave my family for a while or leave my spouse for a while to go and achieve my dreams versus being confined and staying. I'm not saying be a shitty uh, family member. And being confined and addicted to the comfort of that confinement and whether that's in the relationship, in the family, or in the actual home. There's a direct coercion between that and the achievement of your dreams. Regardless of what anybody says. Now, if your dream is to be a stay-at-home parent or to raise a family, it likely doesn't conflict with that. Oh, but wait, but what if your children have a bunch of games, but you're like, I can't fly them to Mozambique for that football tournament, or even you won't even take them to Mesa for that, for that tournament. Your lack of being uncomfortable gets in the way of all of your dreams, no matter what. You are a product of the infinite. And confining yourself to limits, not, I'll say that part again. You are not only a product of the infinite, because you are. If you confine yourself to a, like a square footage, this limits not just yourself, but everyone that you come into contact with. You're taming, when you're tame and you are in alignment with other people being tame, you help tame them too and keep them tamed. You probably even say stuff like, oh no, you should stay around or you should be with your family or you should do this or don't go to San Francisco, it's dangerous or don't go to New York, it's dangerous. Your taming of yourself helps tame other people, either uh, overtly or covertly. And your domestication stifles the wildest dreams, not just in yourself,
but every single person that you come in contact to. He says here, children of space, you restless in rest shall not be trapped or tamed. You shall not dwell in tombs made by the dead for the living. Like you are children, children of space. You are of the infinite. You have no ending of where you are, but yet we confine ourselves to a room or to a house. No matter how extravagant your home becomes, the things we are attempting to hide from the world or keep at bay or try to keep away from us, we'll always find a way to seep into our home anyway, seep into our life anyway, and seep into our experience of the world anyway. In fact, us resisting it will make sure that it shows up. A home and all the things that it signifies is in fact the exact opposite of the infinite in you. It's the exact opposite of your dreams. And it's the exact opposite of your holy mission if you want to bring contribution to the universe and to society. You, I guess these days, because we have the internet and we have work from home, theoretically you can impact the world from just your home, but you certainly would not be able to impact it as much as you would if you were not confined and not addicted to comfort. Society increases your false need. It's a false need for money made through following other people's dreams. And the false need for reliable shelter comes from the weakest of those, most insecure of those, and most animal part of your soul. Your false need. For money, made through following other people's dreams, you know, like working for other people, doing jobs for other people, and the false need for a reliable shelter comes from the weakest, most insecure, and most animal part of your soul. You don't actually need these things. Yeah, is it comfortable? When I was sleeping in the back of a store, Mission Peasy, I was on 16th Mission, sleeping in the back, no power. Is where I live now way more comfortable than that? Hell yeah, it is. And I proved to myself that I don't need the comfort of a home. I'm not any better than you. And when I needed to do it because I didn't have the money or whatever excuse that I had back then, and I had really good excuses. I had no money. I had no food. Uh, what was I going to do? Sleep on the street, right? A bit strip, it beats sleeping on the street. But it, the, me being able to be uncomfortable helped me expand and go for exactly what I wanted to go for instead of worrying about my comfort. For those that follow the wings of their own hearts and soul, you'll never be without money. You'll never be without shelter or anything else. Follow your dreams. You will get rewarded. Society rewards those that follow their dreams because those that follow their dreams contribute their geniuses in that area. They do all these things that are, make it amazing for themselves and for others. 
And obviously they get paid for that because people pay for that. Speak to us of houses. Get much a little bit more. Things don't matter. It doesn't matter when it's only a matter of time. Your well-being is your greatest contribution to humanity. No exceptions ever. And so I'm just going to take a bite of this sandwich because this is my well-being. Love you guys. Catch you next time.